Welcome back to the NISO experience. We hope that you are enjoying the sessions today and we are excited to continue the fantastic programming that we have been striving to bring to you. I am NISO experience planning committee member, Dr. Shiva Mehta, and it is my pleasure to be here with you all today. Our next session is entitled Invisalign with Mandibular Advancement, the evidence you wanted to see. This session is brought to us by Align, and we are so grateful to them for bringing this amazing content to the NISO experience. Before we start our session, please allow me to introduce our fabulous presenter, Dr. Sandra Kong Tai. Dr. Tai received her graduate training in orthodontics at the University of Minnesota, USA. She is a practicing specialist in orthodontics in Vancouver, Canada, and clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. She is also adjunct clinical assistant professor at the University of the Pacific in San Francisco. Dr. Tai has been an Invisalign certified orthodontist since 2000 and is currently an Invisalign Diamond Plus provider who has treated over 3,000 cases with Invisalign Clear Aligners. Dr. Tai is a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Aligner Orthodontics and the author of the textbook Clear Aligner Technique, which has been translated into 11 languages. Dr. Tai is a diplomat of the American Board of Orthodontics, a fellow of the College of Dental Surgeons of British Columbia, and a fellow of the Royal College of Dentists Canada. Professional affiliations include memberships in the Canadian Association of Orthodontists, American Association of Orthodontists, and Edward H. Engel Society of Orthodontists. Dr. Tai has lectured extensively on clear aligner technique all over the world. She is one of the pioneer testing doctors on Invisalign with mandibular advancement and Invisalign first appliance and is involved in several research projects on clear aligners. Dr. Tai, thank you for being here today and I give it over to you. Well, thank you, Dr. Maida, for that wonderful and warm introduction. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen now and uh, let's get started. Today's topic is Invisalign with mandibular advancement, the evidence that you wanted to see. Now, I'm very, very excited to share with you uh, this new appliance that's recently come onto the orthodontic market. And we're going to look at some of the evidence that um, is presented here today. Thank you for that great introduction. And I bring you greetings from the city of Vancouver. And it's a beautiful fall day here. And, and uh, I wish I could be in Boston with everyone else. But today it's a new world, right? I've, I've learned to reach out to the world, both digitally and virtually. And what a great uh, apt topic when we are talking about digital and virtual to really talk about a digital orthodontic appliance. But at the very beginning, let's go back to basics. In this review article by Dr. Bishara in Seminars in Orthodontics, he talks about class two malocclusions, diagnostic and clinical considerations with and without treatment. In this article, 
It was noted that the incidence of class two malocclusion in white American children was 23.8%. Now, this is very interesting because when clear aligners first came onto the market, many of us, Jess and myself included, we started only to treat class one minor crowding cases with clear aligners. Now that was in the early 2000s. Fast forward 20 years later, this appliance has gone way beyond treating the class one minor crowding malocclusion. And so if we expand our scope of treatment to include class two malocclusions, there's going to be a lot more malocclusions in our practices that we can treat with clear aligners. Dr. Bishara also notes that in individuals with class two malocclusions, there is an anterior-posterior discrepancy between the maxillary and mandibular dentitions, which may or may not be accompanied by a skeletal discrepancy. And so this is a really key thing to remember because the diagnosis is vitally important in determining what treatment mechanics will be employed to correct the class two malocclusion. And the all important question to ask is, is it skeletal or is it dental? Because our diagnosis is going to determine what our treatment approach will be to the malocclusion. Now, when we look at approaches to class two treatment, here you see I've divided it into a skeletal diagnosis or a dental diagnosis. If it's a skeletal diagnosis, as you see here on the left-hand side of the screen, then in a growing patient as an orthodontist, we would attempt growth modification to address the skeletal discrepancy. Now, traditionally, we've always done that with functional appliances or headgear. And today I'm going to talk about this appliance called Invisalign with Mandibular Advancement. Now, in a patient with a skeletal class two discrepancy, if the discrepancy is very severe, then we would attempt to treat that with orthodontic surgery. And if it's not as severe, oftentimes we can get away with a dental camouflage treatment. Now in a dental discrepancy, let's say the patient measures out skeletally as a class one or a class two skeletal discrepancy, but they present with an angles class two malocclusion dental relationship. Then we can correct the malocclusion by moving teeth. Oftentimes we do that with class two elastics. With aligners, we have the option of maxillary molar distalization. And sometimes we do a dental camouflage treatment with premolar extractions, especially where crowding or protrusion are present. So today I'm going to focus the next couple of minutes on Invisalign with mandibular advancement. This review article in the AJODO looked at mandibular changes produced by functional appliances in a class two malocclusion, and it's a systematic review that comes out from the University of Rome Tor Vergata. And here you see a photograph of myself and the primary author, Dr. Paula Caza. Now, in this systematic review, two thirds of the samples in 22 studies reported a clinically significant supplementary elongation in total mandibular length. And what did they deem was a clinically significant amount of change? A change greater than two millimeters in the treated group compared with the untreated group as a result of overall active treatment with functional appliances. And the amount of supplementary mandibular growth appears to be significantly larger 
if the functional treatment is performed at the pubertal peak in skeletal maturation. So what this article is essentially telling us, yes, functional appliances work and we need a growing patient. Now this other article by Dr. Bacchetti from Florence, Italy, looked at the effect of timing on the outcomes of a one-phase non-extraction therapy of class II malocclusion. They looked at three different samples of patients. Admittedly, these samples are very small, and these patients were treated with fixed appliances, headgear, and class II elastics. What did they find? They found that class II treatment before or during the pupillary growth spurt induced significant favorable skeletal changes. It restricted max re-advancement in prepubertal patients and enhanced mandibular growth in pubertal patients. But patients treated after the pubertal growth spurt only had significant dental alveolar changes. So if we're going to address a skeletal discrepancy in a patient, we need to treat them when they're growing to get the skeletal correction that we would want to see. And their conclusion was that the greatest amount of dental skeletal correction of class II malocclusion, these are one-phase non-extraction treatments, occurred in patients treated during the pubertal growth spurt. So today, this is a very um, common way of assessing where the patient is in their growth cycle. Now we can also use a hand wrist radiograph. And for sure, when I went to school, we kind of majored on the hand wrist radiographs, but that means taking additional radiographs. When we look at the cervical vertebrae maturation status, we can easily see where the patient is on the growth curve by looking at a cephalometric radiograph, which is a radiograph that every orthodontist would take. And ideally, the patient will grow the most during CS3 and CS4. Now we can treat them at CS2 and CS5 as well, but the pu peak pubertal growth spurt, according to the cervical vertebrae maturation status, is at CS3 and CS4. Now we have many modalities for class two treatment today as an orthodontist. And even for those of us here in the audience, who are using clear aligners to treat our patient, sometimes the different approaches could be uh, very confusing. When do I treat a patient with an elastic simulation jump? When do I treat a patient with sequential distalization? And now, wow, I have this appliance called mandibular advancement. When would I use that over class two elastics? And of course, extractions and orthodontic surgery cases are in a whole different category. So this table here is found in my textbook in chapter 10 on class two treatment. And basically I outline an age, a dental classification, skeletal pattern, and a soft tissue profile evaluation to assist clinicians in selecting what type of treatment modality may be most suited for your class two patient. And that's specifically focused here on this column that says mandibular advancement. We would use Invisalign with mandibular advancement in growing teens or younger patients, meaning mixed dentition patients. The dental classification could be up to a full cusp class two. The A and B could be four degrees or more, all the way to eight and 10 degrees. 
But primarily, when we look at the patient's soft tissue profile, the patient would present with a convex profile, mandibular retronathia, requiring facial change. So these are the patients when they come in for their new patient consultation and we do our clinical examination in the chair, we would ask them to slowly slide their mandible forward in an edge-to-edge -edge position, close their lips and see if the profile improves. And if the profile improves significantly, that's a great case selection for a functional appliance, whether it could be a twin block, a bionator, or Invisalign with mandibular advancement. So what is Invisalign with mandibular advancement? It is a solution for class two growing retronathic patients. The interesting thing about this appliance is that the aligners look different. There are precision wings built into the aligners that engage the mandible in a forward position. They're easy to wear, and best of all, it offers an efficient treatment because we can do simultaneous alignment and leveling together with the anterior-posterior correction. So how does Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement works? Now you'll find that it's not that different from any functional appliance. Through the centuries, the functional appliances have looked different and they function exactly the same using the same principles of growth modification for our patients. So in this case here, you can see that there are precision wings and the precision wings engage here on the buckle. They're very comfortable to the cheek area. And when we look at the picture in the center here, you can see that when the patient wears the appliance, they have to protrude forward so that the lower wing engages in front of the buckle. Now, I used to use a lot of twin blocks before this appliance was launched. And in a twin block appliance, we would do these protrusive bites. And if the patient had a four millimeter overjet, we'd just do it in one jump. If the patient had a six to eight millimeter jet overjet, we would probably have to do it in two jumps. We'd advance at three millimeters or four millimeters. And after a few months, when the patient grew into that position, we'd take the appliances back, modify the bike blocks, and then do the second advancement jump. That's because the patient couldn't protrude eight millimeters. It was beyond the range of mandibular protrusion. Now with a digital orthodontic appliance, Here's the big difference. We can modify where the wings are on the appliance before we've even manufactured them. And so with Invisalign with mandibular advancement, the class two correction is achieved in single or multiple jumps, depending on the amount of overjet your patient has. So if they have a six millimeter overjet, they will be advanced in three jumps, two millimeters every two months. So at the end of six months, the patient will be advanced in an edge-to-edge -edge position and they will be held in that position until the end of treatment. So here are the indications for Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement. There's a recommended patient selection on the left, patients in the growth spurt. So anywhere from 11, if you have a female patient, to 16, if you have a male patient who's a late grower. Deep overbites less than seven millimeters if possible and retronathic class two malocclusions. Now on the right-hand side of the screen, here you can see a caveat with the following patients, additional considerations and techniques may be required. Patients less than 10 years old because halfway through treatment, 
The primary molars could get loose and exfoliate, and we would not have enough retention for our appliance. Or patients older than 17, due to minimal growth. Now, if we have a patient with a severe deep bite that's more than seven millimeters, what this will do is this will trigger what they call a pre-advancement phase of leveling. So if you submit a case, you get a linus bag without the precision wings, and they will spend a couple of months leveling and decreasing that deep bite until that deep bite is less than seven millimeters, and then the precision wings will be placed onto the appliance. So three keywords as an indication, class two growing retronaphic. So let's look at a case. This is a class two malocclusion and the patient presents with buckley rupted canines. Now this little young lady, let's look at her facial profile. When we look at her facial profile, we can see it's a convex profile with mandibular retronathia, there's a prominent labial mental fold and a decreased chin throat length. Now this young lady, her mother was also my patient and we treated the mother with aligners and orthognatic surgery because the mother was severely retronathic. And then she brought her daughter who was only 12 to see us, who of course looks like a mini me version of mom. And she presents with a class two, division two malocclusion, buckley rupted canines, moderate crowding in the upper arch. Now, these are her pretreatment radiographs. And when we measure out the cephalometric radiograph, we can see that the SNB is one standard deviation below normal, and the ANB is 6.6 .6 degrees. So class two, growing, she's 12 years old, retronathic. Having met the criteria for the indication for Invisalign with mandibular advancement, now we're going to submit a prescription. Now I know there are many aligner systems on the market today, but Invisalign with mandibular advancement is unique to the Invisalign clear aligner system. So when you go onto their website to submit a prescription, we can submit a prescription for a teen or a child patient, because these are the patients in the growing category. And then we're gonna to have to select Invisalign Clear Aligners, Comprehensive Treatment. Now, as you scroll through the prescription form, when you come to this tab that says AP Relationship, we have to tell the technician what is our treatment goal. And here I would actually select Correct to Class 1 Canine and Molar because that is my treatment goal. And in that treatment goal, I have three tooth movement options. Remember, we talked about is it skeletal or is it dental? And below that, there are two jaw movement options. The first one, of course, is mandibular advancement or what we call MA. And the second one is orthognatic surgery. So if you wanted to move jaws in a growing patient, you would select MA. In a non-growing patient, we might select orthognatic surgery. Now let's select MA. And when we select mandibular advancement, the following box pops up. These are preferences for the clinician when we're setting up the case. The first one is the end of MA face setup position, and the default would be to set up the incisors in an edge-to-edge -edge position at the very last advancement. You also have the option to set it up one or two millimeters beyond the edge-to-edge -edge position, and sometimes you might want to do that if the patient was a severe class two, division two case. 
Now, the second one is what I mentioned earlier, sequential advancement of the mandible. We can advance the mandible in two millimeter incremental advances to the setup position, or you can do a single advancement. So let's say you had a patient with a four millimeter overjet. You can just do one advancement into the edge to edge position. But if we had a patient with an eight millimeter overjet, we know that the patient will be unable to advance all eight millimeters. So the default will be two millimeters every two months or every eight aligners. So it will be two plus two plus two plus two, which is four jumps into the edge to edge position. Now you can modify that. You can specify a, a unique advancement pattern if you want to. So you might say four jumps is too many. I want to go eight plus eight plus four. And certainly you can specify that in the special instruction box at the end of your prescription form. Now, how about asymmetrical movement of the lower arch? We know that when the mandible is deficient in growth, sometimes one side is more deficient than the other. This appliance will allow us to shift the lower midline up to two millimeters only, and that's a limitation. But I've found that when you try to shift it more than two millimeters, the musculature of the patient is unable to adapt, and then the wings do not engage properly. And finally, we have the option to request for precision cuts for vertical elastics. This is what the vertical elastics look like. And in this case, the vertical elastics runs from the upper canine to the lower canine. The purpose of these elastics is not a class two elastic effect, but they're vertical elastics to hold the upper and lower appliance together. And the patient wears these at nights when they sleep because many children who sleep, they might sleep with their mouth open, the jaw may fall back, in which case the appliance doesn't engage. So, Vertical elastics are recommended at night when the patient sleeps to keep the mandible in a fully engaged position as the child is sleeping. Now, how about the sequential advancement? It took me some time to wrap my head around it. And I wondered, where is the evidence for sequential versus a one or two jump appliance? So the, there's actually a study here out of the United Kingdom and you would recognize the very last name of the study, Dr. Kevin O'Brien, and they looked at incremental versus maximum bike advancement using twin block therapy. And this is a randomized controlled clinical trial. And only in the UK through the National Health Service, they recruited 203 patients, which is a really significant sample size. They were treated with a twin block appliance. Now in the control group, this group was advanced to the edge-to-edge -edge immediately. And in the experimental group, they advanced these patients two millimeters every six weeks. That means every six weeks, they take the appliance back, modify the bike blocks, and advance the patient another two millimeters. Now, the important finding of this study was that the use of incremental advancement of the twin block did not influence the outcome of the treatment. The six-weekly bike advancement of two millimeters gave a satisfactory result and produced skeletal and dental changes equal to those of maximum activation. And so here is the basis for sequential advancement. And up to this point, it had not been very clinically efficient and it had been cost prohibitive, 
to modify the appliances constantly for the patient, but with a digital orthodontic appliance, the sequential advancement and the location of the precision wings can be designed into the appliance right from the outset. And I really like the sequential advancement because it allows the patient's musculature to adapt to the advancement. So coming back to our little young lady here, we submitted our prescription and here is the ClinCheck plan that comes back. Here you can see the precision wings in green and you can see the mandible advance in a series of advancement. But at the same time, you can see upper arch alignment and you can see leveling of the curve of speed and deep bite correction in the lower arch. If you look at the bottom of the screen, there are 42 aligners in this treatment. Here's the patient wearing the appliance, and here you can see how the precision wings engage, but more so, this is the day that we inserted the appliance, and look at the change in her facial profile from the initial records, which were just taken a few weeks earlier, to the day when she's wearing the appliance. Immediately when these patients protrude forward, the facial aesthetics improve, the lower face height increase, they've got a little bit more chin projection. So the compliance from these patients is actually really good because they know they look better when they're wearing the appliance. Now here's the patient, you saw 42 aligners, seven day change at the end of 10 months, we had completed the mandibular advancement phase. Now we haven't completed treatment yet, her molars are class one, canines are a little bit class two. There's some minor alignment issues and a minor midline discrepancy, but this is where we considered the first phase of treatment completed, and you can see the treatment progress in 10 months of treatment. Now, of course, we're going to take uh, end of mandibular advancement supplementary radiograph, and we're going to measure that and find that the correction is a combination of both skeletal and dental movements. Now here's some of the smart force features that are on the mandibular advancement appliance. You can see I'm a big fan of optimized attachments and depending on the other tooth movements that are required, we have rotation attachments, root control attachments and extrusive attachments. And we also have an optimized deep bite attachment. But the main feature you see here are the precision wings that position the mandible forward. Now, when we scan a patient, sometimes it's kind of fun to use the Invisalign progress assessment to see are the teeth tracking according to the plan. And here, all the green teeth are tracking according to the plan. The upper right lateral and first premolar are movements that are not tracking according to the plan. And you can see that that lateral incisor looks a little intruded. From the buccal view, the majority of the teeth are tracking according to the plan. So now we're going to make our additional aligners. And in the additional aligner phase, of course, we've completed the advancement. So there are no precision wings. We've added precision cuts for class two elastics to maintain that forward position and to complete the correction to class two, uh, to class one. So here in the ClinCheck plan, you see a simulation jump built into the ClinCheck plan. Now in the mandible advancement phase, we're not allowed to do any interproximal reduction. So if the patient had any crowding at all, the low incisors might be proclined a little bit in alignment. And so in the second phase of treatment, there's a minor interproximal reduction built into the lower arch to allow me to upright and retrocline the lower incisors. Here are the final records at 20 months. And the final 
T3-SAF, and you can see over the 20 months of treatment, the patient has grown. We've utilized part of that growth to help us towards the class two correction. So initial, 10 months after the mandibular advancement phase and 20 months. Now, oftentimes I get doctors asked this question, how about the deep overbite case? Um, yes, we can treat those two, but they're going to be much more challenging. Here's a 12-year-old male patient who's class two, 100% deep bite. Now, when we look at the cephalometric radiograph, we can see he looks a little retronathic. The A and B doesn't measure out significantly, but suddenly the facial profile uh, looks very retronathic with a prominent labial mental fold. So here he is at the end of the mandible advancement phase at 18 months. Now, the more severe the class two is, the longer it is going to take for us to treat it. And even at the end of 18 months, you can see the molars are class one, but there's still a steep curve of speed in the lower arch. And uh, we've got partial correction of the deep bite. So from here on, we're gonna make additional liners. And here's the final outcome in 36 months. So depending on how severe, now 36 months is phase one plus phase two combined. So think of it as 18 plus 18 to get to the finish line. A series of supplementary radiographs, pre-treatment, end of the mandibular advancement phase and post-treatment. And here you can see the pre and post-treatment comparison. Now this case has been published in the Invisalign gallery. If you're an Invisalign provider, you can go up to the Invisalign gallery, do a search for mandibular advancement cases, and you can read a little bit more in detail. There are two cases here I've submitted that are mandibular advancement cases. Now, here's the next question. How about the high angle class twos? For many of us, these are the most challenging class two cases. We know that as these patients grow, they tend to grow downwards and backwards, making the class two even more difficult. And traditionally, uh, a twin block appliance might not be the best appliance for high angle class two because the height of the bike blocks drop the mandible down and back. So for me as an orthodontist, you know, uh, the gold star treatment was really a high pull headgear with a bike plane. And certainly uh, that's been a time tested and proven treatment method for these high angle class twos. So let's look at this young lady here who presented in my office at age 12 with a severely retronathic facial profile. Now she didn't have any craniofacial syndromes and right off the bat, I really wanted to recommend orthodontic surgery for her, but she was a long way from skeletal maturity and her parents said, couldn't you try something right now, Dr. Tai? And I said, well, we could try the Invisalign with mandible advancement appliance. So here are the pretreatment radiographs and you can see she's already sustained some trauma to those upper incisors. And she's severely class two. Her A and B is 8.8 .8 degrees and the SNB is one standard deviation below normal. Her SNMP is 42.6, FMA is about 34 degrees. Now, so we set up a ClinCheck plan and here we go, leveling, alignment, and advancement of the mandible. This is the initial insert. Now with high angle class twos, what I've found is you can, we can get them to class one, 
but the change in the facial profile is going to be different from those low angle class twos with the dramatic facial change. With the high angle class twos, we don't see as much of a facial change as we would expect. So here she's in three months, six months, and at 13 months, we had decided, we had completed the mandible advancement phase. The molars were class one on the right, canine class one on the right. On the left side, still a very mild class two. And at this point in time, we're gonna take a progress cephalometric radiograph to look at what dental and skeletal changes has occurred. And then we're gonna make this next phase of aligners. Now in the additional line of phase, you will notice there are no precision wings. And in this particular patient, because she presents with a high mandibular plane angle, what we wanna do now in the second phase is low incisor intrusion, and then a vertical simulation jump to close the buccal open bite. And that vertical simulation jump you see here on the clincheck plan represents an upward and forward rotation of the mandible, which will allow us to correct the class one, as well as uh, improve the vertical skeletal pattern. Now you will notice for this particular patient, I didn't put any class two elastics because I didn't want any extrusive mechanics for a high angle patient. So these are her final records. And this is the final cephalometric radiograph. Now here you see a series of photographs and you can see her profile initial after mandible advancement and at the end of the second phase of treatment. Now, I don't think that's a great improvement in the facial profile, even though we managed to correct her dentally. And we've discussed perhaps having a genioplasty uh, done for her when she's skeletally mature. So here are some considerations for high angle versus low angle class two skeletal patterns. In a high angle patient, we want to level the curve of speed as much as possible during the mandible advancement phase. And sometimes there's a posterior open bite after the advancement phase is completed. And for those of you who are used to using bionases or twin blocks, uh, you'll know that's probably the status quo when we complete a twin block treatment. For a high angle case that has a posterior open bite after the advancement phase, what I would do is I would make additional liners, further intrude the upper and lower incisors to remove the premature anterior contact and then allow the mandible to close upwards and forwards. Now, how about a low angle brachyfacial skeletal class two with a decreased lower face height? One of the criticisms for aligners might be that they don't allow the teeth to erupt to help increase the lower face height. So the treatment approach for low angle brachyfacial skeletal class two patients is really deliberately do not level the curve of speed completely during the mandible advancement phase and deliberately finish with a buccal open bite. And then what I would do is I would section the aligners. So remove the posterior part of the aligners, bond buttons and run zigzag up and down elastics to extrude the posterior teeth, to level the cover speed. This helps me increase the lower face height. And then after that, I will scan and make additional aligners. So let's look finally at some of the evidence that you wanted to see. One of my graduate students completed his master's thesis looking at a study of class two malocclusions treated with Invisalign, 
with twin block compliance and compared them with historical controls. Now, uh, there are two groups of patients you see here. The IMAF is the Invisalign with mandible advancement feature. TB stands for twin block. And we had 32 patients that completed the advancement phase and 19 patients that completed the second phase of treatment at the time that we collected the data. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at the bottom of the screen here, the active advancement of the total number of days was exactly the same for both appliances. Why? Because this is not a magic orthodontic appliances. We're treating class two growing patients. It takes the same amount of time for the kid to grow into class one. Now, the average age of the uh, patients, uh, the Invisalign patients were a little older when they started because in the first uh, group of patients that we treated, we primarily selected patients who had transitioned into the full permanent dentition, and they were a little bit younger when we ended. With the twin block patients, many of them started as mixed dentition patients, had a rest period in between phase one and phase two, and then they were treated with fixage-wise appliances in the second phase of treatment. When we looked at the male-female gender ratio, you can see that on average, the treatment was started earlier for females, and that makes sense because females are going to go through their peak growth spurt earlier than male patients. So what did we find? Now, these are the variables on the right that we looked at, and all the green boxes are statistically significant. So let me do a little bit of explanation here. Now, these boxes are the variables that are statistically significant for both the Invisalign group and the twin block group. A and B, mandibular length, widths, convexity, facial convexity, all of these variables were statistically significant and tended towards a correction from class two to class one. Now, how about uh, these groups of patients where you only see one green box in one of the groups? These are S and B, low incisor to mandibular plane angle in terms of the inclination degrees, and low incisor to mandibular plane in terms of vertical, in terms of millimeters. Now in the upper left corner, this is S and B. And interestingly enough, we only saw a statistically significant change in S and B for the Invisalign group and not the twin block group, even though A and B was statistically significant for both. The low incisor to mandibular plane angle, there was a statistically significant change only in the twin block group and they proclined a lot more. You can see the average reading for the twin block group was 96, 98, and 100 after the fixed appliance treatment. In terms of the vertical height of the low incisor, low incisor to mandibular plane in terms of millimeters, again, only the twin block group saw statistically significant changes. Here you can see in the twin block group, we started off with a vertical height of 37, as the patient grew, the low incisors extruded and continued to grow with fixed edgewise appliance treatment in the second phase of treatment. Whereas for the Invisalign group, you can see the lower, the vertical height, 38, 37.9 back to 38. So the vertical position of the low incisor was very stable despite the vertical growth of the patient. And you can see on many of the clincher plans that the, there was lower incisor intrusion program and so that kind of counteracted the vertical eruption of the low incisors that would have happened. 
Now there's one box here in the upper right corner that was not statistically significant for either group and that's an SNMP. And this shows that both the plants, the twin block and the Invisalign are very stable in the vertical plane of space. So let's summarize this. What are the similarities between both these groups of patients? The A and B with appraisal, uh, convexity and soft tissue facial convexity all showed significant improvements from T1 to T2 and thus T1 to T3 for both groups. And both groups did not demonstrate any significant change in SNMP. Now, what are the differences between these two groups of patients? The twin block patients demonstrated an average significant increase in lower incisor to mandibular plane angle of 3.5 degrees from initial to final, those treated with Invisalign MA held the initial low incisor inclination. And in the vertical, the low incisors increased significantly across all time points for the twin block group, whereas for the Invisalign MA group, low incisor to mandibular plane in terms of the vertical remained relatively constant. And Invisalign was the only treatment group to demonstrate a significant difference in the SNB angle. So if I were to summarize, both the twin block appliance and the Invisalign with mandibular feature may be considered appropriate treatment alternatives when considering treatment options for class two growing retronaphic patients. Invisalign with MA showed a significant difference over twin block patients with an increase in SNB. Invisalign with MA offered better control in low incisor inclination and vertical control of the low incisor position. Now, this is interesting for me as a clinician. You know, for many years, I only thought that aligners were a tooth-moving appliance that required a lot of IPR and not so much expansion. But for me to be able to treat a growing skeletal class two with a clear aligner appliance, this really represented for me a groundbreaking evolutionary leap forward for the field of clear aligner technology and for orthodontics. Oftentimes, you know, we, as a clinician, we have salespeople knocking at our door, offering us new bracket prescriptions, digitally milk brackets, clear aligner appliances. And in my mind, and perhaps for you as well, what will make us change the current practice that we use in our office, the one we were trained in, we're so comfortable with certain protocols already in our practice. Well, if a new appliance can demonstrate that it can do the same job and even better outcomes, that's when I will switch the type of appliance I will routinely use in my practice. And so when I saw these Invisalign with MA patients, you know, I, I, they used to call me the twin block queen at the university. If a student's patient presented with a 12 millimeter overjet, they would say, that's gonna go under Dr. Tai's supervision because she can address those 12 millimeter overjets with the twin blocks. And now I don't use twin blocks anymore because this new appliance can do the same as what the twin block used to do, but offer me better low incisor control and more efficient treatments because I can do simultaneous alignment and leveling together with the AP correction. So I think many doctors always want to know at the end of a presentation, how can I learn more? Well, there's a journal that's dedicated just to aligner research called the Journal of Aligner Orthodontics. It's published by Quintessence Publishing and it's published four times a year. 
If you join the European Alliance Society, it can come free with your membership, but if not, you can subscribe it on the link here. The other thing, of course, as Dr. Mehta mentioned, uh, is the textbook, Clear Aligner Technique. And for the doctors who are in this specific meeting, I've created a discount code called Thai Lecture 18, it's all lowercase, where you can buy the book for a reduced price. And finally, uh, during the pandemic, I think we all uh, had to reposition our practices to go digital and virtual. And a lot of doctors were asking for virtual resources to learn more. And attending a lecture here or lecture there may pique your interest, but many doctors said, I would like a systematic, comprehensive training in clear aligners because I went to school in the days when they didn't teach clear aligners in my graduate program. So I've launched the orthodontic mini residency in clear aligner technique. If you're interested, the website is listed on the slide here, but basically it's a 12 week course, two hour videos released every Friday. You can take one year to watch the videos, the discussion board, and you can submit cases for live ClinCheck reviews once a month. And so with that, I want to thank Miso very much for the privilege of this invitation. And you can email me directly at Sandra at drsandratai.com. So back to you, Dr. Mehta. Thank you so much, Dr. Tai, for that wonderful presentation. It was really enjoyable. I do have some questions for you if you would like to answer them. Sure, so, let's go ahead, yes. Yes, so as I'm in um, of academic setting, I do see a lot of cases with the residents. And recently we submitted a late mixed dentition case for Invisalign MA, uh, but the comments came back that they could not place the precision wings. I wanted to ask you, why is that? Okay, yes, that's, that's a common scenario, right? Everybody gets very excited after hearing the presentation. Now, in order to qualify for the precision wings or in order for the precision wings to be placed on the appliance, we need three posterior teeth in every single quadrant. So in all four quadrants, so if it's a mixed dentition case, we might need DE6, but not just in one quadrant, in all four quadrants. So if you're missing, let's say the primary first molar in one quadrant, then the comment will come back to say that we cannot place these precision wings. Now, if that should happen, I would still submit for an aligner order and maybe start running some class two elastics. And then when the teeth have erupted more, I would pause the treatment, rescan and then prescribe the precision wings for the patient. Got you, got you. Thank you for that wonderful tip. Um, I have another question that at the end of the advancement phase, my patients end up with a little pucker open bite. And what do you recommend to fix this? Okay. Now, just last week discussed on, in the chapter, it's not so straightforward, right? I think uh, I love it when I'm speaking to orthodontists in the audience because they are the quick ones to catch it and say, well, it depends. Do you have a high angle patient or do you have a low angle patient? If you have a low angle patient with a very short face height, then section the aligners, bond buttons, run up and down zigzag elastics. So you do some lower posterior extrusion to increase the lower face height, close the open bite, and then you can remove the buttons and scan for additional liners. Now, if I have a high angle patient, then I want to go immediately into additional liners, program in incisor intrusion to 
you know, remove that anterior contact and then allow the mandible to rotate upwards and forwards to close the open bite. Got you, got you. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Um, so another question I have was, uh, what about cases with mandibular asymmetry? Can this appliance work for such cases as well? Yes, well, uh, as I said, the software will allow us to position the asymmetry up to two millimeters, and that's it. There's no sequential two millimeter asymmetry repositioning. So I think that is one limitation of the appliance. Where we have tried an asymmetrical advancement, what we found was the wings engaged on one side, but on the other side, the patients would bite wing on wing and it would get flat. So that's often a complaint of clinicians too. Oh, my patient doesn't seem to be engaging the wings, but perhaps we attempted too much of an asymmetrical shift. Now, it's not a function of the appliance. This is the patient's musculature that's not able to adapt to an asymmetrical advancement. So this would be one area I think I'm very excited. Can we innovate in the future? And that's what I'm asking Align is let's do some innovation to allow us orthodontists to attempt this asymmetrical correction. And I can't say it now, but I want to say that we are behind the scenes working on perhaps future versions of these appliance that's going to be more robust, that's going to allow us to correct asymmetrical uh, deficient mandibles. Awesome, awesome, got you. And the last question I have is my patient uh, one of my patients completed wearing all the aligners with the precision wings, but the buccal occlusion was still class two. Uh, does that mean that it didn't work? Yes, that comes back to the class two correction is a function of the patient's growth and not the number of aligners in the treatment. So one of the, but the problem is what determines the number of aligners in the treatment? How crooked the teeth are, right? So if you submit a patient with almost perfectly aligned teeth, very minor crowding, there's going to be very few aligners come back. And if you have a mandibular advancement patient that comes back with 26 aligners, which is the minimum, it's only six months, but the patient might be a full cusp class two malocclusion. Now, as an orthodontist, then we have to use our clinical judgment. And I would take, I would go, okay, how long is it going to take my full cusp class two patient to grow into class one with any other orthodontic appliance, maybe 15 to 18 months would be my clinical estimation. And so if that's the case, then make sure you have 15 to 18 months of aligners. The aligner is not a magic appliance and the class two correction is not a function of the appliance. The patient, you can get that correction anywhere you want with headgear, twin lock, bionator. It's just the difference is that with this appliance, we get better patient compliance and we get more efficient treatment because we can align the teeth and level, you know, the deep bites at the same time. So make sure we have enough aligners to allow the patient to grow into class one to get the correction that we need. Got you, got you. Thank you so much for those informative answers. I would like to thank you, Dr. Thai, for your very informative presentation and a very special thank you to Align for bringing this amazing content to our NISO experienced attendees. And to our audience, thank you all for joining us today. Please be sure to visit Alliance NISO Marketplace listing, and please take the test and complete the session evaluation in order to receive your CE credits for this session. 
Have a wonderful rest of your NISO experience. Thank you so much, Dr. Tai. Thank you, everyone.